The reading this morning is taken from John chapter 18, from verse 33 to 38. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is the word of God. We're starting a new series today looking at Jesus. And uh, we're going to start looking at Jesus, truth which cuts through lies. We live in a time where the very idea of truth is contested. We live in a relativistic, subjective, post-truth age where there's so much spin and disinformation and advertising which seeks to obscure the truth. And there's so much information out there, so many claims and counterclaims, so many fact checks and then subsequent fact checking of the fact checks and then fact checking of what the facts should have been and the fact checks when they were fact checked, that it's quite hard to tell if anyone is actually telling the truth. And we can become a bit wary and a bit weary of trying to sift through it all. And it's not just companies and politicians. Pamela Mayer, in her book, Lie Spotting, says, I don't know if you would agree with this, but says that the average person lies between 20 and 200 times a day, and that one-third of CVs uh, contain false information and the deception cost the global economy $994 billion a year. So it's tempting just to give up on the idea of truth. Maybe it's too idealistic to seek to find truth. And that's why Pilate's question to Jesus in this passage, what is truth? What is truth? Does it exist? Where can we find it? Is possibly one of the most important questions we face today. Blaise Pascal said, truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. I was reading a paper um, a little while ago by a global management consultancy looking out uh, at the world of 18 to 25-year-old and trying to define what are the key distinctives, what are the key things that make this generation that's rising up currently different from generations that have gone before it and generations that might follow it. And this secular global management consultancy, having looked at all the evidence, having analysed pages and pages of data, having done thousands and thousands of interviews, said globally the thing that most distinguishes 18s to 25s from every generation that has preceded it is that its core behaviours and desires are anchored in one key element. Its search for truth. Why? Why? with all that's going on. Why, when it's so 
contested? What if the reason truth is so contested is because it's so important? What if in spite of the challenges we face, the desire we feel for truth is because we know that we want to build our lives on things that are true, things that are real, things that will matter. We want to take the key decisions of our lives about our time, our priorities, our careers, our relationships, our purpose based on truth. And the first thing we see is that we search for truth because we desire freedom. In this passage, Pilate is questioning Jesus. He's trying to find out what's going on. Who is he? Where is he from? Why is he here? What does he claim? And the question, who is Jesus, is perhaps the most important question in life. And actually, your whole life is an answer to that question. Pilate says, are you a king? And we know Jesus is the king. But he says, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you say that. But what I say is that the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. All who are on the side of truth, listen to me. Why did Jesus come? He says here, to testify, to bear witness, to give evidence to the truth. And Jesus is on trial for his life, and he's happy to say, I came to testify to the truth. It matters that much. He says to Pilate, you say that I'm the king. You're interested in where the power dynamics lay and, and who's got the right claim to the throne. But what I'm telling you is that I have come to testify to the truth. The truth about who Jesus is. The truth about what that means about who we are. The truth about maybe where we miss the mark in our lives and how we live them. The truth about our need to turn and return to God. The truth about the forgiveness and mercy that is to be found in Jesus. Jesus came to testify to the truth. Some people claim, a little bit like Pilate here, well, any claim to truth is just a power play. It's just an attempt to grasp power. But Jesus says he came to testify truth, and yet he rejected all attempts to seek earthly power. He said to Pilate, my people aren't going to take up arms. I'm going to lay down my life. And made himself vulnerable to death, the most humiliating death there ever has been. And ultimately, the cross shows you the cross, this searing statement of great truth and great love tells you that you need a savior. You can't save yourself. It shows you God cares and loves you so much he is willing to send Jesus to die for you and tells you that Jesus has come to testify the truth. Pilate says, uh, what is truth? It's interesting. I used to uh, work as a barrister, a criminal barrister, and so I would cross-examine witnesses for my living. That was how I spent my, you know, nine till five, Monday to Friday. You know, strange way to earn a living, but I quite enjoyed it. And so people would go into uh, the witness box, and they would hold up a Bible like this, and they would say, I swear by Almighty God that I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And I would kind of sit there with all the evidence in front of me thinking, We'll see about that. You know, we, we will see about that. Maybe God will help you. Maybe he won't. You know, we'll see. And, um, and I tell you, it might shock you, but some of the people who took that oath weren't telling the truth. They weren't actually telling the truth. And it was exposed in court. What I found fascinating was, though, having cross-examined hundreds of thousands of witnesses over the years, having read hundreds of thousands of pages of witness evidence, having every day for years tried to assess what was true about what the facts were in the events, when I read the accounts 
of Jesus' life in the Bible, I realized these are true. The way the witnesses spoke, the details they included, the way they weren't trying too hard to persuade you what they saw and heard because they had seen and heard it. They knew it was true. The consistencies, the inconsistencies, all mounted up to an unmistakable impression in my life. This is true. Jesus came to testify to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And lots of people, Pilate questions. And it's good to question. You know, he longs for truth. He longs to find what's real. He longs to find what's authentic. Maybe he's very successful, Pilate. He's very powerful. And he probably realized those things are not enough on their own. He's curious about Jesus. And he asks, what is truth? He's looking at Jesus, the truth of all the people who've ever lived in the world. He can reach out and touch the truth. And yet he doesn't quite realize it. He misses it. The truth isn't just a concept to be debated. It's a person to be encountered. And Pilate is right there, and he misses it. He asks this kind of cynical, weary question. What is truth? It's good to have questions. I spent much of my life helping people with their questions about faith. And what I've noticed is there are some questions which draw people towards God, draw people towards a deeper understanding of faith. Whether they end up placing their trust in Jesus or not, there are questions which help you search for truth. And then there are questions that people use almost as a barrier, almost as an excuse to searching for truth. And Pilate here asks kind of like a cynical question, an excuse for not engaging with Jesus. I've spent a number of years going around and speaking at different universities around the UK. And I was speaking at one university and just speaking to lots of people who you know, were, were exploring faith or, or um, didn't believe or, or definitely didn't believe, were atheists. And uh, after this talk, I, little talk I gave, a young guy came up to me and, um, and started chatting to me. And he was confident, um, maybe even a little bit cocky, which is unusual for a young man. And he, uh, he, he said, can I, ask you, can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he said, just want to say, Really good talk. I said, like, oh, thanks. He said, there's just one problem with it. And I said, oh, it's okay. Just, just tell me. He said, it was all wrong. And uh, he said, it was nonsense, actually. Um, what, what was wrong with the talk? And he said, I mean, it's obvious. And I said, but could you help me? Could you tell me? And he said, well, there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as truth. You're talking about all this stuff. You don't even know there's no such thing as truth. And I was like, oh, well, thanks so much for the feedback. Can I ask you just one question? He said, yeah. And I said, when when you say there's no such thing as truth, do you believe that what you're saying is true? (laughs) And he said, yeah, yeah, I do. And I was like, okay. And it's like, you know, when you have to wait for the elevator to... and. um, And he said, oh. And I said, well, you know, it's just, it's just, it seems like it's quite hard even to dismiss truth without relying on truth. He was like, that's right. (laughs) And I said, and then we had this interesting talk, you know, over a drink and it was fun. But it's so interesting. We can't even begin to undermine truth without relying on it. We say we live in a post-truth age. We say that truth doesn't matter, but we don't live our lives like that. Just want you to imagine you're going out with someone. Someone, you might have to imagine this. It's actually... 
what you're doing, but imagine you're going out with someone and you like the relationship, it's going well, and then suddenly you get a message from your most interested, curious, busybody friend and, um, and they say, I'm out at that restaurant and I've just seen your boyfriend or your partner and they're sitting at a table with someone else. The body language is off. It's not right. I think they're into them. I think something's going on. I think they might be cheating on you. I always warned you about them. They were no good. Why didn't you listen to them? Oh, you've got friends like that as well. I think they were no good. And, da, 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 da. and so you get this text message. Like, I don't believe it. So that night when your partner comes home, you kind of, you, you go up to them and you say, look, look, this message from my friend. Is it true you're cheating on me? You know, if they say, what is truth? <laughs> that, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. We don't live our lives like that. Jesus says in another place in John, the truth will set you free. When you know the truth, you can take decisions based on reality as it is. You are set free. When you tell the truth, you give people the freedom to engage with the world as it is. You honor them in that way. When you hide the truth, you deprive them of that freedom. And the reason sometimes we hide the truth is sometimes good. Sometimes we think, oh, it might be too, we might be too cruel, so we hold back from the truth. Sometimes we're desperate, we're too kind, and so we hold back from the truth. I don't know if you've ever watched like X Factor, and someone comes out, and, and they're very excited to sing, and... They say, they start singing, and it is like the worst noise you've ever heard. And it gets to the end, and all the judges say, that was, that was really, really bad. And they say, no, it wasn't. It was great. And they say, what do you mean? And they say, well, I've been, I've been singing to my friends for five years. And they all say, I've got an amazing voice. And I'm sitting there at home thinking, they're not your friends. <laughs> friends don't let you go on national TV and embarrass yourself. But in Jesus, we have the model of someone who is utterly truthful and completely loving. The only person in whom truth and love were merged, brought together in perfect harmony. Doesn't kid us about how desperate the situation we face is. That we need a saviour. The truth hurts, but it frees you. Gloria Steinman said, the truth will set you free, but first it will upset you. It will annoy you. She actually said it will, you off. It will upset you. The truth about who you are, who God is, the truth about this world. Unless we have it, we're never going to be truly free. And when you encounter Jesus, when you experience his love for you, you're so loved that Jesus came for you, that Jesus knows you to the bottom of your soul, all of the good, all that you're proud of and push to the surface and try and impress people with, all of the bad, all that you're ashamed with and try and bury and hide. He knows you to the bottom of your soul and yet he loves you to the sky. And he came to pay the price for your sins to win you freedom. Jesus came to testify, to bear witness, to be a martyr for the truth. We desire truth because we long for freedom. But the second thing we see here is as we listen to Jesus, we have the courage to speak the truth. Jesus says, all who are on the side of truth, listen to me. Actually means, hear my voice, listen to me. Because we find truth in Jesus as we listen to Jesus, as our confidence in the truth grows. And as our confidence in truth grows, we want to listen to Jesus more and hear his voice. We want to listen to him. And we listen to him in a number of different ways. I, 
We spend, listen to him by spending time in his word. Jesus knew God's word. Sometimes said, if, if you cut scripture, it bleeds Jesus. You cut Jesus, he bled scripture. The times of greatest challenge and difficulty Jesus faced in his entire life, what formed first on his lips were the words of God, the words of Scripture. The Word of God is our north star, our plumb line, our light, our guide. It's the way we find a way through our life. It tells you the truth about ourselves. And I just encourage you, find a way to read God's Word and listen to Scripture through Listen to Jesus through Scripture, whatever that is. At the moment, I've had so many different ways over my life. At the moment, what I'm doing is I'm reading a chapter just a day. Each day, I just read a chapter. I'm very slow at the moment, so all I can do is a chapter. But I read a chapter, I pray about it, and then I have a friend. I just WhatsApp one verse from that chapter to, um, just to prove that I've actually read the chapter. It's very helpful because life is busy. It's complex. And I just want to confess to you, on Friday, I didn't do that. And um, I backslid for a whole day, 24 hours. He was very kind. He didn't mention it. Um, but I did. And then Saturday, I was, you know, I was back. I was in the game again. <laughs> Caught up. <laughs> Find a way of getting God's word on the inside of you. Don't just read the scriptures. Let the scriptures read you. Don't just dig for truth in the scriptures. Let the scriptures preach truth to you. We want to pray. We want to spend time, set aside time, listening to Jesus. Spending time asking to hear his voice. We want to spend time with other people that know and love Jesus. I think at this time, this is probably one of the most important things we can do. Because it's been so contested over the last few years. And sometimes when things are contested, that shows you their value. So for you, that might be coming along to Alpha on Tuesday night. You, you may be just beginning to explore faith. Come along. We'd love to have you there. You might be joining a group, gathering with other people to, to, to build friendships and grow your faith. It might be coming on good ground and taking that step of wanting to grow your faith. It might be coming to Student Light on Thursday night, postgrads on Wednesday night. There's something for everyone to do. Not because we like to give people things to do, but because we think it's really important that you are in relationship with other people that know Jesus. There's times when I've been in those relationships, when I've just flourished in my faith, times when I've been completely separate, I've been kidding myself. Someone once said, Christianity is not a solitary religion doesn't work well that way. And then we want to declare truth about Jesus in worship. We want to breathe in truth about who God is and who we are and breathe out praise. Someone once said to me, he said, I still remember, he came up to me and said, you know, I, I love worshipping each week. He said, it's like worship is my decontamination chamber. He said, all through the week, all these lies are being thrown at me. You know, advertising, you know, on the web, on everything, social media, in my workplace, even my boss has different values, and I'm being shaped by all these different perceptions of what really matters in our world. And he said, when I worship, I feel all those lies being washed off me, and I see clearly afresh. Jesus modeled this. He rose early. So often when he was challenged, Scripture was first his lips. He heard his father's voice at his baptism. This is my son. 
whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. He knew the truth about his identity, so he knows the purpose of his life, so he knows he's been sent, he knows what that means, he knows what that means about the battle he's going to have to face. He knows God's purposes can't ultimately be frustrated, and that truth frees him in this passage to speak powerfully at the moment of greatest trial with clarity and courage and calmness. It's extraordinary to be on trial for your life and speak the way Jesus speaks. I've never seen that in any court. Because he knows there's nothing the enemy might intend for harm that God can't turn for good. Doesn't mean he's unwise. I mean, look at how Jesus responds. Pilate's throwing questions at him, and Jesus throws questions back. He kind of doesn't let Pilate pin him to a statement which could be used as a pretext for his execution. He's not going to let it get off that easily. Even at his moment of greatest trial, he's engaging with wisdom and courage and truth and love. And I find that so inspiring, because I know I often don't make that mark. I often care too much about what people think of me. I still remember uh, turning up in this city as an undergraduate student, and um, you know, you're quite keen to make a good impression in your first week. And uh, I, I met one guy, actually, in, in, you don't need to know this, but why not share? And um, we were in the, in the Lou's at a nightclub, and uh, I just turned to my right, and there was this guy, and I said, are you right? And he's like, yeah, all right. And I said, um, do you want a pint? He said, yeah, I love a pint. He said, do you know what? No one's offered me a pint all this week. He said, where I come from, up north, people buy rounds. Down here, not so much. I was like, oh, well, I'm like from a place which is a little bit of the north in the south, so I'll buy you a pint. He's like, great. So we went to the bar, and we actually became really great friends over the next few days. And then um, he just came into my room uh, a few days later, and he said, Steve, I've just seen the weirdest thing in, um, that's been put in my kind of post box. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, it's an invite to a Christian event. Can you believe it? They're trying to get people to go to a Christian event straight after Freshers Week. Are they mad? Do you think anyone's going to go to this? And that was a difficult question for me because I didn't think anyone was going to go to it. I knew that someone would go to it, and that someone was me. And so I was like, how do I respond to this? And it wasn't quite the way I'd planned this happening because in my mind's eye, I, think I'd, I was thinking, first year, you just establish credibility. You show that you can play football. You show you can handle your drink. You show that you're a normal person. And then maybe by the second year, you're kind of, you know, you maybe introduce the concept of faith at 2 a.m. over a beer somewhere. <laughs> and then like maybe in your third year, when you're having a coffee, at some point towards the end you say just wanted you to know I'm a Christian that was how that was how I'd seen it going this was like second week I'd only known this guy for three days and I was like what do I do and I said well you know I, I, actually I'm, I might go to that he's like really I was like yeah and I take it was one of the hardest things I've ever said and he's like why and I was like well you know University is all about expanding your mind and, um, you know, exploring new ideas. He was like, I guess so. And I was like, so I just thought I might go and expand my mind and explore ideas. That was not entirely true. <laughs> he was like, really, what, are you just going to go to one or you might go to all? And I was like, well, I might go to all. Why is that? Well, I guess, and it was like hard to say. And I was like, well, I guess because I feel like maybe I might be a Christian. He's like, you might be a Christian. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I might be. You know, I'm working all out, but, you know. Such a complicated conversation. Just went on and on and on for like 30 minutes. I could have just said, I'm going, don't give me grief, I'll talk to you about it later. Now, the more, more truth you tell, the easier it gets. The more lies you tell, the easier it gets. 
Do you want to make it easier or harder to do those two things? So interesting, uh, Banaji and Greenwald in their book Blind Spot speak about different kinds of lies that we tell in life. Um, they talk about different kinds of lies, and they give them colors. So, uh, so there are white lies, and white lies are lies you tell that don't really feel like lies. So someone says to you, do I look good in this dress? And you say, yes. And, and really, you're saying that because you want to protect their feelings. And then there are gray lies, and uh, gray lies are lies that aren't strictly true, but they're almost true. So when someone says to you, and when you're late for an event, and you say, I'm on my way. And um, the truth is, you're in your house, you've just had a shower, but mentally speaking, you're on your way. And uh, so it's kind of true. And then there are blue lies. Blue lies are really interesting. This is where you tell a lie, but it's in order to give across what you think is an even deeper truth about yourself. So blue lies, um, someone said to you, did, did you watch Strictly Come Dancing last night? And you think, well, I did watch that, but I don't want them to think I'm the kind of person who they think might watch Strictly Come Dancing. So they said, you watched Strictly last night? And you say, no, we're watching The Crown currently. <laughs> and um, that's, that's a blue lie. And then there are red lies, and red lies are like red and tooth and claw. They're lies you tell to kind of get ahead in relationships or in the workplace, and they're just lies told in a total self-interest. And then they say there are colorless lies. And colorless lies are the lies you tell to yourself, which you don't even realize. And what happens is, as you go through life, you can kind of get tangled up in these different kinds of lies, and it can have a real impact on you. But Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to testify from the truth. You know, when I realize that Jesus has modeled a way of speaking the truth in love, I don't have to tell white lies. You know, when I realize that my integrity before Jesus is more important than my convenience and my comfort, I don't have to tell gray lies. When I realize that the best, most important opinion in the universe is disposed towards me favorably through Jesus, I don't have to worry so much about my image and telling lies in that regard. When I realize that God is for me and not against me, and that nothing is good for me that he withholds, and he will give me all that is needful, I don't have to tell red lies. And when I ask the Holy Spirit to search my heart and reveal if there's any untoward way in me, even the colorless lies get cut through. Jesus cuts through lies because he came to testify to the truth. And when we see that, when we see who God is, when we see who Jesus is, we can be bold, we can speak the truth, we can be utterly loving and utterly truthful because we're not speaking out of insecurity, we're speaking out of security that we are known and loved and held by the one who ultimately matters in this universe. Jesus says, those who are on the side of truth, listen to me. I guess the question for all of us is, do we want to be on the side of truth? Because if we do, there'll always be pressure. There'll always be things which push against us. There'll always be things that try and stop us and make us ambivalent about the truth. We don't want to lose sight of who Jesus is. We don't want to lose sight of what really matters. We don't want to be distracted by money or power or status or success. There's nothing wrong with those things, but they're never going to be the ultimate foundation in your life. Build your life on the truth. Build your life on Jesus. Jesus stands in the face of the largest power, one of the person who represented one of the greatest empires the world has ever seen. 
moments from torture and execution. And he talks like someone who is utterly at ease and completely at peace because he knows the truth about his father. He knows the truth about himself. He knows that he's held. He knows that God's purposes for his life are good and cannot be ultimately overcome. And he knows that he's come to testify to the truth. Just think that what could happen in our workplaces, our schools, our universities, our families, our communities, as knowing the deep truth about who we are, we have courage and compassion to speak the truth to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you like to stand? And we're going to pray.